Jim, you know, a few weeks ago, we did an episode about the royal family and the corgis. Of course. I've realised that this episode has some of the same ingredients. The same ingredients such as... Dogs and royalty, except in this episode, there are three queens, no corgis, and a sprinkling of Leonardo DiCaprio. Hmm. You got my appetite interested. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I thought you might be. Let's get going. Hello, I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Claire Mansell in London, England. Welcome to Dog Edition. Where voices from around the world consider all things dog. On the show today, Dogs at Sea. From the 1840s to the modern day, we find out what it's like to do a transatlantic crossing with a dog. And yes, there were dogs on board the Titanic. We find out how many survived and hear a tale of extreme owner loyalty. That and more. So if you love dogs as much as we do, pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's go for a walk. Because we've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey Pepper, want to go for a walk? Ocean liners have been taking passengers across the Atlantic for 182 years. And for all of that time, there have been animals alongside the humans on board. The RMS Britannia was Cunard's first regular passenger and cargo service, and it launched in 1840, sailing from Liverpool to Boston, Massachusetts. It was steam-powered, and the hull was made from wood. <laughs> when the first ships made the journey, the animals that they carried were really not pampered pets, but they were there for a more practical purpose. Jeanette McCutcheon is the author of four books about ocean liners. In the 1840s, they were very basic on board. They carried their own animals, such as cows and chickens, so that you could have fresh milk, fresh meat, fresh eggs on board. People didn't really bring their pets on board. I love her accent. <laughs> Transatlantic crossings changed quite rapidly after the first crossings in the 1840s. The ships got bigger, and they switched to propeller power, and they were constructed from this new material, <laughs> steel. By the beginning of the 20th century, there was a lot of competition and a lot of money being spent on constructing ships. Everybody wanted a piece of this growing market. They did, and that's where in 1908, a company called White Star Line, who at that time were in competition with Cunard on those transatlantic routes, placed an order for the biggest, most luxurious ocean liner that had ever been built. It cost the equivalent of 150 million pounds, or dollars, in today's <laughs> currency. The first-class accommodations, they were amazing. There was a gymnasium on board. There was a swimming pool. There were luxurious restaurants. And yes, there were kennels for the dogs of the passengers who were on board that ship. Quite a step up from having chickens on board. <laughs> I think I might know which ship you were referring to there with that particular order they placed in 1908. Now, it's not something which is widely reported, and it didn't make it into the Hollywood movie, but yes, there were dogs on board the Titanic and they had their own accommodation. Here's Ian Murphy from Liverpool's Maritime Museum. 
They were towards the rear of the ship. They were near the fake funnel. They were clearly first-class passengers. They were near the staterooms. Did, did he say fake funnel? What, what's a funnel? A funnel, the thing that's on top of a ship. The smokestack? Oh, okay. So funnel is a triangular thing to pour liquids in. Yeah. We, we're all learning English on this show. Okay, so <laughs> funnels are both things that you pour liquid through in the UK, but they're also things that go on top of ships. Is a funnel a synonym for a chimney? Um, only on a ship. Of course. <laughs> so, it's, so, so anyway, this is a quirky little fact that I found out about the Titanic, which I couldn't just pass by. It's nothing to do with dogs, but I thought it was interesting that it had a fake funnel. They had a fake uh, smokestack. Why? For symmetry? Titanic had four funnels, but only really needed three. They added a sort of a fake one. It was there for appearances. Cunard's big fast ships needed four funnels, and three was felt to be a bit inadequate. Hmm, funnel envy or something like that. <laughs> I was going to say there are jokes that could be made there. I'm not going to go there. There are. Well, according to an article from Smithsonian Magazine, Claire, the dogs who were on board the Titanic, well, they had a very beautifully regimented schedule. It was the carpenter of the ship who had to take care of them on a daily basis. And they got exercise and a bathroom break exactly once a day. Hmm. The plan was to have a little dog show later in the voyage. But of course, that wasn't to be because the Titanic sunk. Ian Murphy says there weren't many kennel spaces on board the Titanic. You see a variety of numbers mentioned. We've said 12 because that seems like a relatively accurate one. Twelve kennels with more than 2,000 passengers on board. So it was something really that only the very wealthy could afford. Yes, a fare for a dog was as much as it would cost to take a child on board. Mm. I asked Ian Murphy why those very wealthy passengers were on board those liners with their dogs in the early 1900s. There's certainly a sense of people touring Europe. There was also the case of people traveling for business. And actually, we've looked at a few records and you realize business people would travel backwards and forwards across the Atlantic two, three, four times a year. People at that kind of wealthier end were far more mobile. I think the bulk of Titanic's dog-related passengers, I think that is that idea of tourism and the tour of Europe. So basically, these ocean liners were the equivalent of like a modern day private jet. Absolutely. And people were living these incredible lives, certainly the wealthy ones, where they traveled to Europe with their dogs. Now, because the first class passengers were really wealthy, they got away with quite a lot too. Mm -hmm. And Ian thinks that although the dogs were supposed to stay in the kennels for the voyage, some of the ones on board the Titanic got smuggled into staterooms. Mm -hmm. Of course. You're talking about the wealthiest passengers on the ship. The jobs of the first class stewards was to help make those passengers' lives as comfortable as possible. I'm guessing there wouldn't be too much in the way of adherence to the rules if it was felt that it wasn't going to be causing too many problems. And I think there's a few reports of maybe the old slight complaint from another passenger, which actually just reinforces the fact that that's what's happening on the ship as well. So dog owners seem to be having quite a nice time on these crossings the beginning of the century. But we're talking about the Titanic here, and I know how that ends. Yes, there were 2,224 passengers and crew on the Titanic, and 1,500 of them died on its maiden voyage. So only about 30% of the humans survived, and it was equally devastating for the dogs. We think, from what we'd looked at, that three dogs survived. I think it's two Pomeranians and a Pekingese. It's very much kind of dog that could be held by somebody getting into a lifeboat that wouldn't be 
disrupting passengers or people around them. Yeah, you can imagine that in all the panic of evacuating the ship, there was not enough rescue equipment on board. The last thing people would do is like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it my spot for that large dog. Oh, you can only imagine the chaos. If you've seen the film, you get a small hint of what it was like. There are lots of stories about the Titanic and what went on, and it's hard to differentiate truth from fiction. That's true. I heard that in the aftermath of the Titanic, like any natural disaster, the reporters back then had an insatiable demand. Everyone wanted to know more information. So some of the reporters maybe took some creative liberties and filed stories where they just made things up. For example, I read something about some people being saved because a dog barked from a lifeboat, and that's how they were rescued. Is there anything to that? It's a lovely kind of human interest story, isn't it? But it sadly seems to be made up. I asked Ian Murphy about one particular story I'd heard about a lady called Anne Isham. Now, my daughter is particularly attached to this story. My daughter's six. And the story is that Anne had a large dog, possibly a Great Dane. Mm. And when she knew she wasn't going to be able to get the dog onto a lifeboat, she stayed with it when the ship went down. I think that might be the story whereby she wouldn't leave the dog, and I think there were reports from people seeing the body of a woman with a large dog in the water afterwards as well. So it's difficult to say with any real certainty, but it's an interesting thing with Titanic that there are a lot of stories out there around all sorts of aspects of the ship, and some are verifiable. So. I was kind of wary of ruling things out in a way because history has a way of surprising you. I think it would be very hard to leave a sinking ship and leave my dog on board. That's just gut-wrenching. I really think that James Cameron missed a trick by not including that kind of human angle in the Titanic movie in some way. Well, it's funny you should mention that because we did a little research and we discovered a clip that never made it into the film that is available on YouTube where you can see three, four, several dogs. It's pretty extraordinary. And uh, we will put a link to that in the show notes. Did you have a look at it, Claire? I did. I think it's amazing. They released the dogs on the ship and they're running around in midst the chaos, but it never made it to the final yeah, film. It was a deleted scene, but I think it would have perhaps would have just punctuated for all of us dog lovers just how tragic everything else was on that fateful day. And I think Ian Murphy from the Maritime Museum in Liverpool would have really approved of that as well. One of the things we tried to do with the exhibition and in the museum is to put the real lives back into the story. The lives of those animals is part of the story as well. Each one lost is a sort of a heartbreaking kind of tragedy. I think everyone can identify with that. If you have a dog or a pet of any kind, you know how much that means to you. And those lives are just as real and valid as any others. So after the Titanic song, you know, in the 1930s, people still really liked the idea of traveling luxuriously between North America and the United Kingdom. Here's Jeanette McCutcheon again. You'd maybe go over to America for two, three months and then come back to Britain. So they'd take the pets with them. Would be the celebrities' dogs, the rich and the famous dogs, millionaires who would probably have their dogs. There are photos of some of the famous dogs and their owners who traveled on the ship. Rin Tin Tin, for example, he was a canine star, if you haven't heard of him, who had 36 silent films. He did The Crossing, as did Elizabeth Taylor's dog. 
and the Duke and Duchess of Windsor's. They all traveled luxuriously on these sailings. Cunard operated two ocean liners in the 1930s, the Queen Mary and the Queen Elizabeth. You see where my multiple queens are coming in here now. Mm-hmm. And Queen Elizabeth was launched in 1939. And if you're a young crewman starting your career on the Queen Elizabeth, you might have had to take your turn looking after the dogs. Mm. She had 24 kennels on board. The dogs were all looked after by the bellboys. Now, the bellboys were... 13, 14, 15-year-olds who were in their first stages of their career on board. So they were the lowest form of steward that you could get. However, they used to take the dogs out for walks and wander about with some and make sure they were fed. So it was the bellboys who were taking care of the dogs and they were doing it with with a plum. They were taking care of the dogs with the same first-class treatment that the passengers were getting. These dogs on board were completely pampered. If the dog ate steak on land, the dog got steak at sea. Whatever the dog wanted, they could have it. If you could afford to travel with a dog, you could afford the food for it. It was all included in the price. It's kind of one of the marvels of uh, cruising, right? You get to eat whatever you want. (laughs) Hmm. Lucky, lucky dogs. There was another great feature of the Queen Mary, which has been carried on through the ships that succeeded her right until the present day. They installed something to help the dogs with comfort breaks. When they were building her, they put a lamp post for the dogs. And of course, she was a Scottish built lineup, so they'd automatically put a lamp post because that's what Scottish dogs would do their business against. Unfortunately, the American dogs weren't happy with this because they didn't know what a lamppost was. They had to eventually install a fire hydrant on board so that the American dogs could go and do their business. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we will hear from the modern-day passengers who are crossing the Atlantic with their pets. Is it still glamorous, or do people choose to travel this way with their dogs for other reasons? Stick around. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpup. The green, grassy, beef liver spiked smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it. Everpup traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. Does it roll back time? Of course not. Not really. But it helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day. Because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I'm so grateful to be your dog. And for the ever pup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com. 
where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Before the break, we heard how pamper dogs belonging to wealthy owners were transported across the Atlantic during the Titanic era. White Star Line, who owned the Titanic, merged with Cunard in 1934 when both companies experienced financial difficulties due to the Great Depression. The company was known as Cunard White Star Line until 1949 when Cunard acquired White Star's remaining shares. Until 2008, Cunard owned and operated multiple ocean liners. But times were changing and customers wanted to fly or do cruises, which require a different kind of ship. The Queen Elizabeth II retired from service 14 years ago. And although demand for human transatlantic crossings was waning, she was still transporting a lot of dogs. Back in about 2008, 450 pets crossed the Atlantic. They could take 12 dogs at once. They had a playroom for the dogs and a walking area for them. Today, there is just one ocean liner left in the world. And Clara, you have sailed on it. It's the Queen Mary II. And do you know what the difference is? Because hmm. obviously I only learned this when I did the crossing. Do you know what the difference is between an ocean liner and a cruise ship? Uh, yeah, no disco? <laughs> <laughs> no, there are construction differences. So the hull is thicker on an ocean liner because it gets more pounding from the waves. Uh-huh. And the lifeboats are higher up as well on the outside of the ship because obviously bigger waves. Uh-huh. And the sort of layout of the ship is different because obviously they're expecting more turbulent oceans. So they put communal areas in places that get less waves. Does that make them more seaworthy? Yes, massively more seaworthy. Yeah, they can handle much rougher seas. Huh. In 2016, Cunard carried out a £132 million refit of the ship and added 12 new kennels, taking the total to 24. So the QM2 still carries dogs. And in fact, she is the only passenger ship left in the world that does so. Mm. And she's more popular than ever. And it costs $1,000 per crossing. And you have to book years in advance if you want to get a spot. But what is that experience like? You were there. 
I was. And um, one of the people I had inspiration from when I was thinking about booking this crossing was a lady called Michelle Binkley. And she travelled on the Queen Mary tour a couple of years ago and she shared her onboard experience in a series of YouTube videos. And I watched them several <laughs> times while we were considering doing this trip. And we spoke to her and she says the first thing that you need to bear in mind if you're going to take your dog on board is you will have to be a little bit patient when it comes to boarding. From the time we arrived at the terminal curbside to the time that we got on the ship, it was probably about two hours. As they see that you have dogs, you get preferential treatment because I think they want to keep the anxiety down. We were taken to the front of the line for the security passport check. And then once we got through that, we had to sit for about an hour and a half. They have someone from the ship come down and they check all the paperwork for the dogs. So it's just like being at the airport, really, but with a dog. Absolutely. And you kind of think that maybe you get on board quicker, but you don't. You still have to do all the paperwork. You still have to do security checks. Mm. And you have to do it with a dog who might be getting really <laughs> bored of mm. queuing. But when you get on board, there is a kennel area on the top deck. The spaces were good. They were all super clean. The owner's lounge, it was about 15 by 15 feet square ish. And they had furniture there that was dog friendly. So everybody's animals were on the furniture, which was hilarious. And then connected to that room, there was a little threshold, like an entry room, and then the kennels were off to the side. So it wasn't really a big space, but it functioned well. As well as the indoor space, there is a small sort of wraparound deck, which is enough to walk the dogs up and down on, but not really enough space for them to run mm. and burn off energy. But there is one day during the crossing when they get to leave the small space and go on the wider deck. Ooh. When Cunard first started doing the crossings many years ago, they did this thing called the dog parade. And they actually allow you to go out on the deck. Then it's this huge area. And our larger dog, Monroe, he went completely crazy. Like he was running in circles and you're supposed to do this little parade. But all my husband did is he literally ran in a circle for 30 minutes just to burn off steam. And there's like a photographer and all this stuff. And we were like, we don't care about that. We just want our dogs to run. We will have a link in today's show notes to the video where you can see how all of this works. So during that one day when they get to go out and like flaunt their stuff on the boat. That's great. But <laughs> the rest of the time, can you go and visit the doggies who are in the kennel? Yeah, they have visiting time, sort of okay. three blocks a day. And even if you can't make it up to the kennels to see them in every one of those slots, Michelle says that the kennel hands are there and they are great. They were fantastic. They love animals. So we'd walk in there and they'd be like holding the dogs and cuddling them and taking care of them. They were very engaged. Like they didn't just sit in the corner. They were always talking to the owners and especially the dogs, <laughs> sometimes more than the owners. Now, there is one other thing that Michelle shared with us, which I hesitated to include because I didn't want to get anyone into trouble. But it was four years ago. So I think we're safe. Nobody's going to come after these people. Do you remember how I mentioned that on the Titanic, the staff turned a blind eye to dogs in cabins when they were first-class passengers. I see where this is going. I was quite amazed at this, but Michelle told us a little story. There was another dog on our crossing that had actually a really bad reaction to the whole experience. So I don't know how they did this, but they actually got to have their dog in their cabin, which is usually not allowed at all. Wow. So Claire, when you traveled in August of this year, did you see any of these dogs or any of these dogs who had uh, eluded the security and gotten into the cabins? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I didn't see any in the cabins, but maybe I was looking in the wrong places because <laughs> I didn't find this out till afterwards. I did meet some of those owners and some of the dogs who were travelling up in the kennels on the top deck. And I spoke to some of those because I wanted to find out why they'd chosen that way of travelling. Gemma Hodgson was on my crossing with her two German short hair pointers who are called Bob and Ted. Great names. And she was moving back to the UK with her family. We have spent the last 13 years living in Las Vegas, Nevada. During COVID, we decided that we wanted to move back home. One thing that I was hesitant about was putting them on the plane because from Las Vegas, it's about 11 hours and the heat is 40 degrees. And so I was just very worried about loading them on the plane and the waiting before you take off. So we just started looking into what the other options were. One of them was driving to New York and then getting on a plane. And somebody then told me, oh, you know what? Cunard takes dogs on their transatlantic cruise. Now, I first tried to book Maple on the ship mm-hmm. 10 months before the crossing, which I thought was quite a lot of time. Right. But while I was talking to Gemma, I started to realise why we had had virtually no chance of getting her on the ship. Because, of course, during the height of the pandemic, mm-hmm. loads of crossings were cancelled. <laughs> so there was not only the usual waiting list, but there was a massive backlog as well. We booked two years ago. We actually wanted to get back as soon as possible, so we were standby on about five cruises for last year that actually didn't sail at all because the ships hadn't gone back into service. Steve Yarrow was also on board with his seven-year-old Australian Shepherd Collie mix called Tig. I'm coming from Indiana and I'm moving to Poland permanently. I didn't want to risk putting him in the cargo. The only other option was a ship, and actually this is the only cruise that does that. I'd planned on going before the pandemic, but it was a year and a half wait just to get on the ship. But then the pandemic hit and it was delayed another about year and a half to two years. Now, I know you met another dog on your voyage, a dog named Hope. Yep, Hope and her owner, Emma, And their story was so amazing that we dedicated the whole of episode 69 to that. It's called Hope's Story, an 8,000-mile odyssey. And you can find that in your podcast app or at dogedition.com. And it's really worth a listen. Now, Kate Sebley was travelling with her husband, three children, and their four-year-old golden retriever, Abby. And they were also moving back to the UK. And cost was a major factor in their decision to sail with their dog. We lived in Canada for six years, just north of Toronto. We looked at travelling by plane and Abby was going to cost $6,000 to go on a cargo plane because they didn't take dogs on the whole because of the heat at that time of year. So this makes sense because you're paying about the same price but you're actually having a holiday for the week and if she doesn't have to sit in a crate for hours and hours, you can take her out through the day. $6,000? Yeah. Just for the cargo for the dog? It's crazy. So Natalie Cambata was travelling with her seven-and-a-half-year-old spaniel mix on the Queen Mary 2. We're coming from Chicago. I'm moving to England, actually up to Scotland eventually. He's too big to sit with me on the plane, and that gave me a bit too much anxiety, so I wanted to uh, do something a little more humane for him. So I think clearly we've established that the way for a dog to travel the Atlantic Ocean is on the Queen Mary. But I imagine there are a bunch of different experiences for dogs because, you know, dogs are not used to really being on boats or ships. And so do they like, you know, get queasy and do they lose their appetite? Well, you remember the dogs on the Titanic were spoiled rotten and Mm -hmm. ate nearly as well as the humans on the ship. Well, modern day dogs have a pretty good time on the Queen Mary 2 too. (laughs) He's getting a nice little treat in with his breakfast and dinner. He gets some salmon. She's actually having chopped up raw steak and carrots 
So it's like luxury. He doesn't normally get chicken and salmon, but he's getting it two times a day now. With all that good food, eventually it has to, you know, come out the other end. And <laughs> Jeanette McCutcheon said earlier that one of the ships had a fire hydrant on board for the dogs. Is that still the case? Yes, this is a tradition that started on the original Queen Mary and has carried on across all the different ocean liners. And they have both a lamppost and a fire hydrant to encourage the dogs to pee on something familiar. Here's Kate again. I think she probably didn't pee for about two days and she was to try and pee on this grass, but she has actually done it twice on the grass, which is like, wow, yeah, good dog. As you can imagine, the bathroom situation was a pretty hot topic amongst <laughs> the kennel users. Here's Steve and Natalie. He didn't go very much the first day, but he's more or less regular now. And we all keep track of our dog's bowel movements <laughs> and urination schedule. He's going a little bit less than usual because he doesn't have the access to grass and as much exercise. But I'm pretty pleased with how he's handling it. Everybody was a bit not too excited about the bathroom situation because it's a bit tight quarters so they can't really spread their scent if you will some dogs are doing better than others sounds like all the owners on board were getting along just fine with their dogs i think the whole experience of crossing the atlantic with your dog is probably something that people will be talking about for the rest of their lives I think it sounds really cool, and now when I understand a little bit more about the economics of it, I totally think that if I were to bring a dog to Europe, I would definitely want to find a way to do it on the Queen Mary. They need more kennels. Well, that is all the time we have for today. We are always looking for great opportunities to share your stories here on Dog Edition. So if you have something that you'd like to share with us, you can get in touch with us via our website. And you can find us at dogedition.com or on social media. If you're in the dog park and chatting to a fellow dog lover, we do it on a daily basis, then please mention Dog Edition to them and tell them where they can hear all the great stories about dogs. And also check out our sister shows, including The Long Leash with James Jacobson on dogpodcastnetwork.com. I'm Claire Mansell. And I'm James Jacobson. Thank you so much for joining us today. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Aloha. 